It is Christmas and spring, and things are not holy and white. They are unholy and red. I'm joined today by the director of the holiday horror He Knows. He's Steve Morris, and this is Slasher Sports Cinema. I'm here to kill you. I am Dracula. Say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for? If not for shedding. Six year old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. Steve-O, how the hell are you? Pretty good, man. That intro is awesome, dude. It really sucks you, like you in and pumps you up. You know what I mean? Like, I dig Man, it. listen, anytime somebody brings that up, and sometimes when they don't, I got to shout out my guy, Jack Fiddler, who uh, you know, he, he allowed me to to use his, his audio, his, uh, his, his tune-making skills, mm-hmm. if you will. He's a talented guy. He's actually a local guy. I'm in uh, just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um. You are in Indiana, mm-hmm. correct? Yes, sir. I got, I've got family in Kokomo. I don't know if that's something to brag about. Kokomo. I think everybody has family in Indiana nowadays for some reason. Like people just migrate here. Um, hopefully it blows up. Who knows? You know. Yeah. You know? Well, I think Kokomo's kind of hit the hit the downward spiral since I was a kid. Um, it, just, it, was, it was so much nicer when I, maybe it was it just seemed nicer because I was a kid and didn't care about quality of anything. But now that I'm grown and I, uh, I see Kokomo, it just almost uh, it's almost like a sad thing. Like kind of uh, kind of run down compared to what I remember it as, you know. Right. But, well, I feel like Indiana anywhere. It's like every uh, few blocks you drive, you're like, wow, this is an amazing neighborhood. And then it's like, oh. Oh, oh God, where am I? You know, so well, yeah. <laughs> it used to be. Yeah. Listen, man, like word on the street is uh, all you did this past weekend was play Resident Evil's remake, the yeah. Resident Evil 4. Man, talk that up. Sell it to me because I've not yet had the pleasure. Oh, what, dude? Oh, it's so good. So did you, obviously you played the original, uh, right? I, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, growing up, dude, I bought that on every single console it came out on. I had the GameCube, I had the PS2, the PS3, the PS4. So when they are like, remake for PS5, I was like, I have to have this. You know what I mean? So, uh, obviously, day one, I had to get it, beat it day two. Now I'm already about to beat it a uh, second time. I'm going up a uh, level difficulty each time and just being like, oh, I love this. It's like my whole childhood rushing, you know, right in front of my eyes and just being, uh, it's just so fun. <laughs> I feel like that's what I did with uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but back back to Resident Evil. Um, the, yeah, the the first one, or the, the the first original, I guess, Resident Evil Four might have been the game that got me back into the franchise, like single handedly. It was yeah. it was a different different kind of vibe to it, you know. Like the um, I think the over the shoulder thing was new. I could be wrong. Yeah, that was the first time they started uh, doing that. They used to have the fixed camera angles, which was a pain in the butt, you know, up until that point, which was part one, two, three, Code Veronica, uh, whatever other spinoff they had. But uh, yeah, that fixed camera used to be a real pain on PS1. <laughs> when you say a fixed camera, you mean like uh, even, it, it doesn't matter which way you're facing. That, when you walk into the room in the earlier ones, you'd have like the cameras just looking down at you from like the corner of the room and like you're like sure. oh, one over there and then you walk towards there and the camera flips and you're like oh i can't see that spot that was glowing but i know something's there so it, it was annoying in that sense and uh the way you had to like aim it's just like you know up down middle only so headshots were not as easy <laughs> and it didn't really matter which direction your guy was facing because you still have to press up to get him to walk forward 
right? There's there's no press down to go this way. It's press up to walk forward, press down to walk backward, right? Yeah, that it was that became weird. an issue. It yeah. was very weird. And and after playing four and five and you know so on, and then jumping back to the original, it's almost like I don't know, learning to to ride a bike again. Uh, you can eventually do it, but it, it takes a while. But man, part four, I remember um, this is the one that takes place in Spain, right? I think so. Um, I don't know. That I remember the, the general well, that, area, that's in that area. Yeah, that village at the beginning of the game, like like all the uh, I don't know what we call them the effect the infected uh, the infected people. Um, like they're they're saying things like I trust the team, Basil, which is like you know, behind you, asshole. And like, I just remember those little sound bites from the original. I don't know if they changed anything. This is the one where you're you're it trying to say pretty similar to uh, before. So I don't I don't really know the language or whatever. But uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Just no. <laughs> I assumed it was Spain, but of course I'm you know th- that's like the only Spanish speaking country in Europe, and they were over in Europe, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, just uh. Yeah, narrowing it down there. But man, it was one of the better games. And, and again, it slingshotted me into, like, I was more looking forward to part five when it came out. But something that you said a second ago kind of resonated with something that happened. Um, I've got two sons, and uh, they were pretty, pretty young mm-hmm. when part five came out. And I remembered, like, I would always get these bank alerts on my my, my cell phone, like anytime a purchase would happen, I'd get a text message and um, part five comes out and, you know, we have it for a really long time. Right. And then they come out with this gold edition, I think. And then like a, a whole bunch of DLC stuff. Well, my son being my son, he, he goes on to the, uh, what was the equivalent, I guess, of the PlayStation store at the time. And he just starts buying this shit up. Like, I don't care if I've already got the, 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 the full edition mm-hmm. and all I really need to do is, you know, get the, uh, the, the DLCs. I'm still going to buy that gold edition and the DLCs. And he cleaned me out and there absolutely is no refund. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a similar situation with my kid in Fortnite right now. I deleted that sucker off my PS5, man. Uh, he done spent hundreds of dollars on us in a, a a couple of instances on Fortnite, and I'm just like, yeah, dude, those V bucks ain't worth it, man. And absolutely, games, man. have no need for it, no yeah. need for it whatsoever. Just to change your mind, man. But you know, I'm not any better, man. When 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 I was really young, I was obsessed with Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Okay, and uh, there there are a few years between us, so let me just um, break this down. Basically. Um, every game company, okay, from Konami to Nintendo itself to um, Tecmo, they all had an 800 number that you could call. And it's basically customer service. Well, once, uh, I don't know, like eight-year-old Billy got a hold of that number and he couldn't seem to get past Mr. Sandman, uh, eight-year-old Billy's calling these like uh, 866 numbers, all right? Not 1-800, but like 866 to find out, sir, could you tell me what's the code to get it to Mike Tyson? And I'm calling around, man. I'm trying to figure out these special codes. And like I remember my mom blowing up pretty good on me about that phone bill because they were the 866 was not um, a local number. That's that's long distance. And I'm spending minute after minute trying to get all the info I can about Mike Tyson's punch out. And, you know, it, what comes around goes around. You know, right. Yeah. And I, I don't remember ever telling my kids, like, listen, do not use my goddamn bank card to buy five different versions of Resident Evil five. I don't think I ever put that over on them. So I took the L and the and the red bank statement. Right. Right. I think I'd be a little less disappointed if it was Call of Duty since I actually play that one. No. <laughs> You know, like I, I, I played Resident Evil Five, and I loved how they did the co-op. I think that was the first co-op that you could do. Um, it was a little less horror and a, a little more action, but it was still stress-inducing because you had those those guys who would just pop out of nowhere, and um, you know th- th- they would gradually get more difficult to to kill because you got the 
you know, the, the ones that have the, um, the, the, the things sprout out of their head after you headshot them or whatever, but man, it, it, it's, it's kind of taken me back, you know, and I, I think it's probably going to be my next purchase. Is it? I think so. Like I'm, I'm already put like so much time into it this weekend. I, like I've been working on pre-production for my next film for so long that I was just like, Oh, I need to take a weekend to play this. And I was like, I'm going to take Monday as well. Uh, so I was playing it all day today as well. So, you know, <laughs> adulthood sucks though man because you basically in order to get like quality time out of a video game especially a nostalgic video game you've got to basically take the day off work mm -hmm. or you know because i did that with uh friday the 13th the game right yeah. I, I put in you know i put in for pto took eight hours on a friday played it all you know for the three-day weekend got my fill of it and you know come monday at least i was you know the, the thirst was sated a little bit you know right um, but I, I i don't think i got more hours out of any video game for about two years than i did friday the 13th uh, the game i i love that one uh not too many of my friends played that one but i put a lot of hours into that game uh for man. sure i'm a survivor on that game all day dude uh bugsy's my dude man uh <laughs> you like bugsy i like um the the, the one with the the one with the booty shorts um T tiffany possibly yeah i think her name's tiffany but the reason i like her is i like being the scout okay the, the scout type character she's got the high stamina the high kind of high speed um pretty good stealth but it doesn't have any you know combative ability but basically the first thing i do man I'm searching. I'm grabbing a map if I can find it. And I'm going to find that cabin, and if I if if I find you know like the the, the fuel or the battery or whatever it is you got to find, I'm taking it. I'm dropping it off because she ain't got any repairability. All right, nothing like two or something. Yeah, and I'm basically Bugsy too, dude. He has like he sucks at everything except for yeah, but he's an, yeah he's an ass kicker though. He's yeah. an ass kicker. But uh, listen, man. Uh, Basically, while you're playing Resident Evil 4, I'm uh, hitting up Scream 6 uh, in theaters. And um, Have you not seen it yet? Uh, yeah, well, that's what I did while you were playing Resident oh, Evil. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Which is basically like, what I'm yeah, saying. <laughs> did you see it yet? Yeah, so I watched it twice. I watched it uh, just this past weekend with my kids and stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, man, I, I've been very harsh on the series or the franchise rather. And I've, I've always said that the only one I've ever enjoyed was the first one. And I mean, I stick to that, but at least the newest one was mm -hmm. very, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, two yeah. through uh, two through five, very disappointed. I, I, it's just me. I, I don't know if, you know, the, the, the self, uh, the self-inducing laughter that they, you know, the, the, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge that they try to do with the films. I don't know that that does it for me. I don't know that a little dainty 120 pound girl is going to, you know, sell me on Ghostface being one of the Mount Rushmore slashers uh, that so many try to put them, you know, you'll, you'll see the, who's your Mount Rushmore of, uh, of slashers. Most people are going to put Michael Myers and Jason. There's going to be some debate between Freddie and Leatherface maybe. And maybe some silly people are going to put Chucky on there as well, which kind of started doll horror. But, you know, you, there, there's a place for that. But a lot of people try to put Ghostface on there. And I really can't get down with that at all. Because which Ghostface are you talking about? Are you talking about Billy Loomis? Or are you talking about um, uh, Jackie from Roseanne? Well, who, who, are we, who are we talking here? Like, See, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum because, I don't know, Scream is just, like, really close to me. So, like, I love them all for different reasons. And, yeah, Ghostface is kind of, like, my go-to. It's, like, my influence getting in the film was, like, the the anything Wes Craven, you know, mostly uh, Scream and uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, of course. So uh, Sure. But, yeah. I love I'm Craven, man. Dude, like. The, everybody hates part five, but I love it so much because I'm in so many fan groups for scream and I just see it completely being like that. And people are just really, they're wanting to kill each other over Stu being alive or dead. And I'm like, I want him alive, but I don't want to like kill you over it, dude. Like, but like they get serious in their groups about it, man. So like, I love what do people hate about part five though? 
I, I, I don't especially hate part five. Especially, uh, I think a lot of people uh, were just kind of let down. It was like, oh, they're wanting to like reboot the films in a sense by like starting a new set of killings, you know, uh, that they can have the rights as, essentially to, you know, sell as a new film. And um, a lot of people just didn't like that. It was just kind of like, you know, a fan mad uh, at the films, essentially and wanting to make their own version of a better film. You know, he's like, oh, since part five, it's been crap, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, I'm going to do it right. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I dig it. I dig it. So, okay, let's talk real quick about Jenna Ortega. Uh, Jenna Ortega is kind of, has kind of blown up over the past, I guess, two years. Um, if, if two years is even... Uh, you know, the the correct length of time. Um, I paid attention to to Jen Ortega in X. Uh, big fan of, uh, more so a fan of Pearl, but X was good. Really liked it. Um, but like, what has she been in? Has made her blow up so much. Has, uh, the babysitter uh, sequel. She was the uh, the new girl in the babysitter uh, part two on Netflix. Did you watch those? I did not. The uh, babysitter, yeah. this the, the one with Samara Weaving. Yeah, dude, uh, she's in part okay. two. Okay, yeah, she's like a sure. the main character on that, and that was the first time I seen her in anything. That was before X and all that, but she was my in this question. <laughs> I guess my question is like, what has she been in that she's been she's given the best performance in? Because to me, Melissa Barrera really stole the show in uh, in in five and six in, in Scream. And Jen R.K. was just kind of along for the ride. Mm -hmm. um, again, Mia Goth was the breakout from, from X and Jen Ortega along for the ride. So I, I don't know. Like It's great that she was a perfect casting for Wednesday, I think. Um, right. Very dry. You know, something like the Disney Channel and going into horror, especially, is like a big pull uh, uh, for her. You know what I mean? Because going into X, I legit thought there's no way she dies. You know what I mean? Uh, there's uh, spoiler. My bad, guys. Uh, there's no way she gets fucked up. <laughs> she got royally fucked up just before she passed away. Right. Uh, yeah. The, she just, passed away. the babysitter was a, probably my favorite role for her because she really got to do a lot of comedic uh, stuff and you know the horror timing of it all. And uh, yeah, the babysitter killer queen or something like that is a subtitle. Killer queen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I like the first one for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought it was a good premise. Uh, Samara Weaving is, uh, I think she's got this look about her that almost Jamie Presley-esque where she could play the bitch. She could play the baby face hero. She can do just about anything and she can do it while hiding her true accent. And mm -hmm. that to me is impressive. I feel like they really missed the, opportunity by not having like Samara weaving in like the craft uh remake or whatever because she just reminds me of like the main chick from that one it was just kind of like man she would have been perfect uh guys drop the ball yeah. wood. you know scream does this thing where they kind of take out the, the first kill of the movie is always going to be um a pretty substantial maybe actor who might even be a lead in another film you know, they, they started off with Drew Barrymore. And this is not Drew Barrymore that's fallen off and then is trying to find her way. Like, Drew Barrymore in, in Scream 1 was, like, as big as she'd ever been. I mean, aside from, like, Charlie's Angels. It's not like a John Travolta situation where she'd gone away for years and then needed Pulp Fiction to bring her back. So yeah. they, they do a good job of, like, bringing in a big name for a small amount of time in a cold open. And that is, I do look forward to the cold opens from Scream. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, it loses me a little bit, but one and six I thought were the best and second best of the franchise. Mm -hmm. So with seven coming up, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to let it give me a shot in the arm and, and see what kind of reinvention they're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely stretching. Uh believability in some sense even as like a hardcore fan as i am i'm just kind of like you know um if some people are dying who's to say people have died in the past that we thought are dead you know i'm looking for easter eggs everywhere you know what i mean like yeah and it's almost like the uh the glenn from the walking like the dead thing right honestly no <laughs> uh, well you, you know like the 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 glenn from the walking dead situation like you know he died 
And then, you know, an episode or two later, it's like, oh, no, he crawled under the dumpster that right. in the original well, episode was only like that? that much space. Did Say that again? The comics for those? I never read the comics. Okay. Um, I did a little bit of when Negan was about to do his thing. Right when he we're 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 building up to Negan. We've not met Negan yet. Um, I I did a little bit of digging, and I learned that the arrow that Abraham was supposed to take through the eyeball was saved for basically a useless doctor, on like one that nobody had really built up any love for. So yeah. major wait, major wait, kill character in a comic book, but uh, yeah. A lot of the Say that again. Uh, a lot of those characters were actually bigger characters in the comic books and stuff, you know. And certain beats happen, but just slightly differently, like you were saying with the the arrow to the eye or whatever. Right. Uh, well, that's what made me think that they were saving Abraham for Negan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 that that's kind of what gave it away for me. Um, so I was a little bit swerved by the actual Glenn death mm-hmm. um, because I thought Abraham was the one that was going to get it. They had been teasing Glenn. For, for so long. So as someone and, who read the comics, dude, and that's exactly how he goes out in a comic book, I was like panicking the entire show. Like, don't kill this dude. You guys are changing so much. You can change this. You can change it. We have time to change this. And then we get to, like you said, the fake out death. And I was like, that is such a sucker way to take him out. Like that one guy got that kid eaten, you know, through the little spinny glass. And then like this whole situation, I hate this one guy. He just got an entire group of my favorite characters killed. I love the kid from Everybody Hates Chris. You know what I mean? Like, why'd you guys do that to him? You know what I mean? That, and, uh, listen, he got it worse uh, than one of the, the worst. Than most. Yeah, it was. And I did not expect almost like um almost like a Jenna Ortega situation. You know, he, he he's not like on that that heightened level of, of fame, but that's 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 everybody hates Chris, man. <laughs> that, that was a cool cat and then he got it worse than anybody had gotten it up to that point except for maybe abraham you know mm-hmm. um but you know one thing i do got to say though and like th- knowing that you're a, a big fan of scream for you mm-hmm. not for these people not for these people for you i'm gonna give it a shot man i'm gonna, I'm gonna go back i'm gonna rewatch them all all right. I did the same thing with the Saw series. I got my daughter, and, man, and I think it's her favorite franchise right now, too. So that's pretty cool for me. Well, I don't think anything's ever going to top Friday the 13th for me. It's just, you know, too sentimental. But, I had to go but of course, of course, I do dig that. But um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to give it a rewatch because I did the same thing with Saw. I had the same opinion of Saw mm-hmm. that I have right now for Scream. Okay, and if you know my good friend Ben Schatzel were to hear that, he'd shit a chicken. But I went back and I rewatched, and I was like, "Man, Costas Mandalore, he's such a schmuck. Who? Why? Why do we want this guy as, you know, the the, the I guess the the replacement for Jigsaw? And he's just like some random dude with like a slick back haircut. He's kind of short, kind of stocky. He has no personality. And later on, I find myself like, man, I need more Costas Mandalore. He really starts stealing the show after. So that's another franchise where I really love it. You know, I love how they were able to kind of like fill in gaps where people are like, well, that was kind of a plot hole. And they're like, where was it? And the sequel, they fill in their plot holes constantly. And I just kind of dig that. You know what I mean? As like someone, because they did it kind of like the independent route because they were making one per year for Saw. You know what I mean? So turnover was nuts on those. And to see like, I think the high quality that they were able to manage like to see what they did with like the story and stuff. Like, I love it. I love that. I love spiral. I love hopefully what they're doing with saw X coming out. Um, I'm so glad you said you like spiral. Yeah. So I mean, I'm glad you like, spiral. I don't see why a lot of people try to say it's something different because it was like every movie had something involved with the police officers. And this one centered more around the police officers. So it's, it's kind of more the same for me, but you know, it was more the same, which I love. So yeah, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Um, but you know, they, they they were enough different that you felt like you're watching a new movie and just having Chris Rock in as the other uh, protagonist. I really like that. I don't know how I felt about Sam Jackson. Um, I, I just see him as Not like Sam Jackson. Complaint. Yeah, I mean, I love Sam Jackson himself, but it's like 
if I want to see something new, he's one of those he's one of those guys who shows up in a film and I don't see his character. I see Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, the, the yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hail. That Sam Jackson is who I've always seen. Yeah, I'm kind of like that with the rock more recently. You know, it, it happens to the best of them. It have it's happened to DiCaprio, it's happened to Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. They all base well DiCaprio, not so much, man. He can he can take on a character. Yeah. He can take on a character. Uh, but there are some guys that just, you know, in Adam Sandler, you, you're not going to see anybody but the actor. They may as well just use their real name in the film. <laughs> but, you know, as as we talk about these names, I, I feel, you know, my, I feel myself like just getting older, you know, and you know, watching Scream 6, old uh, um, Hayden uh, Panini Terrarium. What, what, how do you say your last name? Penitary, I think, or something like that. There you go. I'll go with that. Yeah, I like Penitary. Yeah, she she's really looking like a woman these days. No longer looking like the the teenage heartthrob, you know. And that yeah, reminds like me that just, days. yeah. And when she showed up, I was like, hmm, I probably look like that right now. I don't look like I looked in 2010 or whenever the hell the you know her her version came out, but um. Like you, you see these things and it's like, man, I guess it is time to pass the torch on to the next people. Right. I was just, a little bummed they didn't keep the haircut, but I get it. It's been like 10, 12 years for her as a character. So, but you know, but, hey, but, but it was a really good haircut though. It was, it was though, a really like, good hairstyle. Kirby, you're just like, Oh man, that's what I picture. <laughs> well, man, we got a lot of good stuff coming out though. And actually a lot of good stuff that's available right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I haven't seen it yet. But I really want to see Cocaine Bear. I'm not like liking it, likening it to horror, but it kind of is, kind of ain't. Um, was that Ray Liotta's last movie? I want to say, but you know, he was doing so much there towards the end that he probably has stuff still in post production. Um, he very well could. He he was like uh, there there at the end. He was kind of like Danny Trejo, just working on anything that anything that would have him. Yeah. But you know, I'm hearing that. The, the, <laughs> yeah, right, right. But I'm hearing the movie's surprisingly good. I really um, like. He did a great job. So yeah, yeah. So like, I I knew about the story from like I, what was it like the early '90s, mid '80s, something like that, mm-hmm. late '80s, uh, where with the, the bear ingesting the coke, you know, from it being you know thrown out of a plane. But just, I, I really want to see this film because. It doesn't have anybody that I that I overly am maybe tired of seeing on the big screen. I got everybody's pretty fresh to me, and plus Liz Banks directed this thing, right? And I'll, I'm always interested to see, I guess, established actors hop into the director's chair and mm-hmm. see see what they would do. They've 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 been in the game. Now she's it's time to be the offensive coordinator, though, hasn't she? I mean, she's got. Uh, quite a few under her belt right now, I think. I can't think of what she, else. But. She does. I don't think she's got anything in the horror realm. Yeah. And no. again, loosely horror. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of like a mashup between like Without a Paddle meets uh, Tucker and Dell. You know what I mean? Uh, versus Evil. It's just like, it's a bloody good time. It, it really was. Uh, it's I just like a... Horror, but as, as close to horror as a Tucker and Dell was, you know, just... Uh, and, and just like uh, Matt Matt Lillard said, you know, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Right. But I'm, I'm seeing like people love this film. And I, I'm, I think it's probably one of my next watches. Um, but one that I'm really looking forward to, and I very rarely get to sit down and watch a series and become invested in the series. But I really want to see David Gordon Green knock this Exorcist series out of the park. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like the only scary movie growing up for me was The Exorcist. So I'm kind of, I'm going to probably scrutinize this one a lot more than I would anything because I also like the TV show. Did you watch that at all? The Exorcist? Yeah. Yeah. Two seasons and it was solid, dude. That season two, that was like some Emmy type stuff, man. And it just didn't get any recognition. I could also probably say the same thing for like Castle Rock because that show was amazing too. And it was just kind of like gone too soon. castle yeah castle rock was going very quickly and i thought it was like my next 24 
like 24 was the first TV show that made me do unnatural things and just convince myself that I really only need two hours of sleep before work, man. I doctors do it all the time. You don't, you don't really, all I need to do is rest. And that's what I've been doing the last four hours watching the show. So I'll just watch one more episode and watch the, uh, the secretary of state get blown up in the, uh, in, in the middle of, uh, what was it? Dodger stadium or wherever the hell they were. I can't remember, but listen, man, the exorcist, like David Gordon green, doesn't just, he's not remaking these classics. He's making sequels basically. So mm-hmm. I want to be clear about what he's doing. He did the same thing with Halloween, right? He, he, he left part one intact and made a sequel and mm-hmm. then, and then ran with it. Basically what he's doing here, right? Because uh, I think it's Les Odom that's uh, playing the, the father of the, the possessed kid, Leslie Odom Jr. Um, and they're going to kind of enlist uh, Ellen Burstyn and you know, her original character. So like she's aged. I'm sure Linda Blair's going to be in there somewhere. I've, I've heard rumors that they, she was going to show up, but you know, that's kind of undefined at the moment, right. but um, there have been rumors, but you know, e- either way, you know, like some uh, Blumhouse rep said that she was on set for a few days as like an advisor, but it doesn't really clarify like whether she's going to be in the flick or not, or in the series or not. Right. Um, but you know, it, it would make sense though if she came back in some capacity because you know, again, Ellen Burson's there as her as her mom. So, um, you know, there was almost a, a time where it looked like things might not happen. I think uh, Les Odom Jr. had some kind of health issue back in like around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like undisclosed, but you know, it could have been. You know, people always point towards COVID. But, you know, they ended up resuming sometime in January, which do your math. It takes you know, a few weeks to get over COVID. Right. And there they were. But, um, you know, the, the, the exorcist thing leads me into the Friday the 13th series is coming up. And I don't really have a lot of details on it, mm-hmm. um, but I'm really looking forward to that. I want to say I don't know who's behind it. I don't know who's who's helming the project. But one thing that they're going to do probably that I kind of scrutinize and have scrutinized uh, Rob Zombie for is taking liberties with the childhood story mm-hmm. of Jason. Um, I, I'm I'm not interested in 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 hearing Jason's voice as as a child. Um, you know, it's, I'm I'm not looking forward to seeing him very much as I, I don't want to say his human form, but you know his somewhat normal form as a as a I child like the blueprint that they've kind of pitched for the show but i am kind of concerned about that first season really hitting you know or even the first two seasons honestly hitting because jason really wasn't jason until like two and three of the film so you know they said with each season going on they're hoping to kind of keep up with the films and kind of do like a retelling and i'm kind of like uh <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather like who asked for a retelling, right? Just give me something new, like, dude, you know what I mean? Like, I love the remake. Uh, that was probably one of the most frightening Jasons to me was the remake Jason. Uh, 08, 2008, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it, dude. It's been that long, we're getting old, man. No, (laughs) you're telling me that's exactly what I was just saying, man. Like, we're talking about all these films and and, and series that are, uh, you know, things that we kind of cut our teeth on in horror and. Like I think about like Children of the Corn, right? It's like the probably the first thing that I ever saw that had like killer kids, and like they, they just remade that. Mm-hmm. And I think you know you want to change things up, make it fresh. I think they've got a little girl who's um the the ringleader in this one. Yeah, but like, what is it about killer kids, man? That 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 kind of puts us on edge. Like even as a, an adult, I I sit and watch these films, and I'm thinking man, like, I, I feel like I would fuck that kid up, but like, what if I didn't suspect him? You know, what, yeah. what if I'm, yeah. Well, what if I'm laying in the recliner and, you know, they, they tape me up into the, uh, you know, into the recliner, like, uh, like, like Michael Myers did to his evil stepdad and zombies part one. I think about like, and, the good son. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, own kid, dude. You know what I mean? Like, just coming out of nowhere with some stuff, you're just like, oh, what? You try to kill your sister? What? You know what I mean? Like, and then you can't do anything to him because, like, then you're a kid killer, right? Yeah, yeah. And And most importantly, uh, the movie's over. You know, it's kind of what you know inspired me to do my next film, Bad Apples. You know, it's kind of follows a young antagonist who's a self-absorbed sociopath, and she begins to unravel. Once her foster parents adopt yet another kid to steal her spotlight. So much like the good son, we're kind of doing a little bit of a gender swap type situation. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'd say this is a little more different because we're sticking with the antagonist throughout the whole film. So we're kind of watching a little bit more of her perspective and watching her unravel and instead of being like, you know, following the the new kid at the house like they did in the good son, you know, like, hey, follow this kid that just got adopted. Now he's the hero. And it's just like, I'd probably be upset about Macaulay Culkin too, but I, I want to see why he was upset and why he was so creepy and stuff. So I started exploring that when I was writing my next film. And yeah, that was kind of an influence for me. So creepy kids, man. <laughs> you know, I got two kids of my own and, you know, they scare the hell out of me. No. <laughs> yeah. Watch your back. Yeah. What, what, definitely watch your back. Uh, you know, Pet Cemetery did me in, um, you know, with, with uh, a little kid. Uh, but anyway, listen, man. I mentioned with that dude um, here in Indiana. He's all grown up now. I'm still terrified of him as a kid, though. <laughs> still cutting Achilles tendons, probably. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, man. But yeah, he was here in Indiana, real chill dude. When you, yeah, when you said that, I was sitting there thinking, man, I better think of it before he finishes talking, and I didn't. That's yeah. on me. That's on me. But you know, I just recently had uh, Tory Jones um, on the podcast a few weeks back, and like you've been working, you've worked with Tory. Yeah, quite a few times. Uh, Tory's a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, first thing that comes to mind was the Wicked Ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably because it's you know the most recent thing that I've, I've actually watched. You know, of Tori's helmed work. Have you watched oh. They See? Or I think that's another one because They See You. They See You. Um, I did not kids and stuff. It's kind of like a coming of age type horror film. Right, so right. Yeah, film, you'll see a character that wears the same T-shirt that my character wears, and he knows which is the black and white Sammy the Elf uh, promo t-shirt. So someone in that film wears the t-shirt of that. So that was kind of like us collaborating a little bit on that. And then uh, Phantom Fun World, I should have a cameo in that. We'll see uh, how it all cuts out in editing. You know how that goes sometimes. I hope so, because I'm really looking forward to Phantom Fun World. Um, I always said, I liked it. Is it? Yeah, I mean, I was having a conversation. I'm bringing them on to my next film, man, because Tori's got a good eye for people, man. He finds, you know, black. Yeah, and and as do you guys. Um, I I don't know who's responsible for the casting, but some of your repeat people are are, are pretty solid, and I'm going to bring up some of those names in a little bit. I've actually got that on the uh, the agenda to talk about. But, um, yeah, man, I, I got a lot of time for Tori Jones. And I I was just telling myself that we we need more um, theme park horror. You know, after uh, after Hellfest, uh, which I liked uh, Hellfest. I was um, an extra, dude. You were in Hellfest as an extra? I spent five days on set, long ass nights, man. It was freezing. It was like sprinkling rain on us. Like they bring out a little. What did you do? So what were your extra responsibilities? Movie with you. I can be like, that was me. That's me because I'm just like in a background and stuff. But like a few days, I'm just like hanging out with a random group of people. Other days, I'm walking across, you know, different sets. And uh, some days they had me dressed as like a person at the park, either walking as security or tearing tickets. But, you know, not all of those scenes made it in, but I could definitely point myself out in like two or three scenes, like boom, boom, boom. Another one, I was like a jungle cruise. I can point myself out as an extra in that because I was like a. 1920s British soldier on this red double-decker bus that uh, Emily Blunt's character drops down onto. But those are just, like, fun uh, things I got to do as, like, a background extra. You know what I mean? Um, Small little things, but so fun to be on those big sets, dude. Well, I've seen credits as far back as 2018 for you. Um, Mm. I I guess I want to know about, you know, the the first thoughts you had getting into filmmaking. Well... I kind of always wanted to do it when I was growing up, but like never had the means to, you know, I grew up on kind of like a, not the greatest neighborhood and household and et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? So 
I sure. ended up in my GED one day and uh, applying to college. I went off to the Art Institute in North Hollywood for digital filmmaking and video production. Like I knew I kind of wanted to be an actor, but I knew I had to do other stuff, but I didn't know what other stuff I wanted to do. You know what I mean? So once I got in college, which is, which is fair. It's fair. At that age, it's fair. Completely fair. Once you got in college, they kind of make you do a little bit of everything. So you're kind of like, well, I suck at audio. I'm okay at editing. I can write my ass off. So I'm going to write a bunch and that'll give me opportunities as roles. And then, you know, I start working with other, other directors and producers and stuff. And I'm like, okay, you guys do okay, but it's not exactly what I wrote. And I want to see if I can do exactly what I wrote. So then I started getting my own producing and directing and it's just kind of like snowballed into if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just, uh, I, I have a lot of people that offer to help me with things, but it's just like, I don't know how they do things and I do things differently because a lot of it, um, I am self-taught for the most part, you know, uh, school taught me sure. how to teach myself. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but that's a, that's what I paid for college was to educate me on how to YouTube and Google um <laughs> so um i mean it was really great teaching you networking and how to um you know equipment wise and all that stuff at school but i don't want to work in the that side of the production anyway doing the crew type work like i can do camera and all that stuff but I'm not your guy <laughs> i mean like i can help you i'm better to help you find the shot than to actually help you program the shot you know what i'm saying <laughs> okay yeah no i can i can dig that i mean they, they all you know the the old saying is uh, uh a jack of all trades is a master of none but i tell you what you can take a jack of all trades and plug them in anywhere so i i always I always joke about that too i actually use that phrase quite a bit but i'm like a jack of all trades master of none tech nine would be displeased because you know he uses uh a lyric of you know don't be a, a jack of all trades master of none master your craft type stuff so um tech nine reference yeah <laughs> I use I, I'm, I'm with you i'm with you i'm with you listen tagline he knows when you've been bad or good so be good for your own sake i love a good tagline scream you know what i mean it was a the killer in a mask a whodunit um a little bit of uh, humor mixed in with it. Um, a stereotypical uh, type of characters, I would say, for the most part. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. But hey, that's, I mean, the archetypes are what make it fun. You know, um, you, you've got the archetypes on the the, the Friday the third, excuse me, Friday the Thirteenth video game. It's fun to pick your archetype. Right. Don't don't ever think that you know it's necessary to blend them and make them just. Like I think that that one video game of uh, the quarry kind of uh, kind of hurt itself by trying to blend too much. Um, and I, I feel like your film did that very well. And I know who's who I know, which personality I identify with. And I know which one I would be a little more standoffish with. And I, I think you illustrate that pretty well uh, be between you know all the characters. Um, but this thing is it's streaming on Tubi uh, mm -hmm. and Amazon. But first of all, like, what's the process of getting your work onto a streaming site? Like, why not Netflix or Hulu? They're the big ones, right? Like, without talking numbers, and because you know we're gentlemen on this show, right? You know, okay. How much is in your bank account? Just kidding. What's the pay structure look like for Tubi compared to some of the whales? Oh, so much better um, in comparison. So. Just to throw a rough number out there, that's say Tubi does a hundred dollars in a week, uh, you get ten dollars on Amazon, you know what I mean? Uh, and it could probably be roughly around the same amount of views from what I can tell, because uh, I don't have that many people reaching out being like, I love or hate your film, or I was indifferent, you know. But, um, the views, you know, kind of it seems like people migrate obviously more towards Tubi because it is free. They have to sit through the ads and the ads get you a little bit more money. And as you know, with Amazon, it's people hear that name. They're all like, Oh, it's on a bigger platform. And it's kind of like, well, Amazon's cool and all you guys, but don't, don't watch it on Amazon that much. If you don't have to, you know what I mean? Like if you bought it there sure, watch it. Uh, but if you're, if you're looking to actually help the filmmakers, you want to watch something that does have those ads and don't use ad blockers. You know, that's kind of a dick move uh, because that, that's kind of screwing us out of what little money we get. You know what I mean? Because we get cents like, you know, 
I want to say like seven to 20 cents for X amount of hours viewed of a film or something like that. You know, it's pretty ridiculous. But um, so, yeah, as a person who just like supports other independent films, I always try to go to watch it something on like 2B or like Plex, uh, Typhoon, uh, random stuff like that that would have ads to kind of get them better stuff. Like if they were on Netflix, yeah, I'd go blast it on Netflix as well just to get them up in those higher rankings to help them out. But with like things like Amazon, if you're going to watch it on there, only probably because you want to review it on there as well. And that does help them if you're going to leave them a review on Amazon. But if you're not the type to review a film on Amazon or IMDb, uh, just watch it on Tubi or something. You know what I mean? It, uh, it has the ads. You just pause it, come back to it later. Uh, doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> doesn't hurt the well, pocket family, you know? Yeah, I'm getting old anyway, so I'll probably use those ads for, uh, you know, bathroom breaks. Mm -hmm. Come on, if, if you're in my shoes, just do, do what I'm doing. You know, but you you co-wrote the film with uh, Kermit Merle Key. Mm -hmm. All right. Who uh, he previously wrote a short film called The Watcher by the Dead. Mm -hmm. uh, you were it's a short you were in. Yeah, I was uh, an actor in that one as well. Yeah, yeah so very. I wrote he knows. And then I had him consulting on quite a bit, helping me rewrite a lot of it. And so, yeah, he was my co-writer on that one. Well, he also did a very well written screenplay for uh, Eat the Rich. I thought. That it was a very well-crafted story. I'm, I'm going to put him over for just a minute. Um, but it was like the story about like a, a group of friends who kidnapped this government official and, you know, their internal struggle with the group. And like, it, it kind of keeps them at odds and really becomes like a house divided kind of a situation. Also it takes place during the pandemic. So that adds an extra layer. Um, I don't think you were involved in that one, right? No, I was going to be, but we were filming, at the same time, essentially. So with He Knows, I started in October of 2020, but didn't wrap until August of 2021. And he was filming, I want to say, end of July and August. So like the timing was like, I'd have to rush from my last day of set to be there at like X time in the morning on his set, which was a few hours away. And it was just, it didn't work out, but I was going to be like a extra or something like that in that. So, but. Well, what was the writing dynamic uh, between the two of you, Kermit and yourself, uh, like writing the screenplay for He Knows? Uh, so I was pretty new. So like I wrote the entire film, but it was very unstructured. You know what I mean? And he had to come in and really fix a lot of it. And then I'd have to come in and fix, you know, whatever he changed and stuff. And just so the script to screen, you know what they say is like always a lot different, but once we got to like the last draft of the film, cause we had to do so many rewrites like during filming and stuff, because like, you know, starting in October, we'd shoot at something, have some cast, lose some cast, lose a location, you know, it was the beginning of COVID essentially. Uh, cause that was in October of 2020. I think it all started in March of 2020, if I can recall COVID really started popping. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know for a fact I got sent home from my office. Um, on late late february or very early march mm -hmm. so yeah you're 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 kind of nailing it there um it's yeah. uh it, it sounds right to me yeah so you know scheduling and budgeting and everything it was kind of really hectic because my my goal for that film i did crowdfunding was 30,000 i think we raised like 6,000 or something like that on there and then i had a second crowdfunder that raised a little over a thousand you know, so I had to reach out to people to come up with the rest to kind of be like, we raised a little under 15000 and then I paid for the rest out of pocket. You know what I mean? And <laughs> that was just really hectic. You know what I mean? To have to do all that and kind of make sure that I stayed to somewhat the vision that we had on paper versus, you know, what we had to hit realistically in real life. Like, okay, we can't really shoot this realistically anymore because we don't have the location for this or the budget for that or the person anymore because scheduling with everybody across you know that long of a period of time i'm working with like actors that are like blowing up like my lead zach miser uh he's in the newest season of american horror story you know what i mean as like a, a character in an episode so i'm like what the heck you know what i mean and now he's a sag actor i had lynn lowry i've got Britt baker she's on fox 59 news out here in indiana like you know i have all these people that are blowing up and just doing their own professions and they're still willing to come back and you know, playing my sandbox. So that was just, it was crazy. Which, <laughs> you love that for him. You love it for him. Oh, but for at the sure, same yeah. time in the moment, it's like, ah, 
you said how do you I get there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah. So, okay, who's who's creation? It was your creation, uh, mm. Sammy the Elf. Mm. I, I guess I want you to walk me through the the, the first concepts. So, Sammy what the I Elf. wanted. So, talking going back to American Horror Story, uh, you know, uh, freak show. I was a big fan of Twisty the Clown. I wanted Twisty the Clown meets Elf on the Shelf, you know, and I pitched that to uh, uh, an artist out here in Indiana. His name's Scott Blake, if I can recall off the top of my head, and he designed the mask for me. So he went through a couple iterations of sketches and moldings of the clay. And at first I was like, oh, no, this is looking a little bit more like Hobgoblin. We need we need to change it up. You know what I mean? So at first the the hat was going to be sculpted into the head. But then that's when I was like, oh, that's hobgoblin -y. You know what I mean? So we did the costume separate and everything. And it was just kind of like a, a back and forth process of, is this close to what you want? Is this what you want? And I had, you know, people giving me the sketches. So like the Sammy the Elf t-shirt that I have, my character in, he knows the Jason character, the stoner is like the black and white elf shirt. Uh, that was the concept art. Uh, so that's what we kind of sent to the artist to kind of make the mask and costume off of. Uh, yeah, so... I think we got it there because I really wanted the smile of uh, Twisty the Clown, something really haunting, you know what I mean? And that's kind of what we nailed it with. So. It was next level sinister. And I'm not saying that just to, to drive traffic over to the film. Like the, the, the most important part of a lot of slashers is the mask. Mm -hmm. And Sammy the Elf is top level sinister. I can't mm -hmm. say it any any other way. But tell me who plays Sammy and who I guess who was the architect of the mannerisms like the uh, the ear situation. So I can honestly attribute that to probably a few different ones uh, because hectic with scheduling and stuff. So the way it started out, I had one of the earlier drafts of the film, you know, not to give too much away the film, but there's two killers and he knows. Uh, originally, those two killers was one character in an earlier draft of the script. So I, I had one guy brian boyles that i really wanted to be uh sammy the elf i was like dude you got to be this johnny character blah 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 and he was like i don't even know if i'll live in indiana by the time you get around to making a movie <laughs> you know so he ended up not moving and i had already had the role cast you know uh, with a different character and i was like okay so i ended up splitting it into two different characters and kind of making them friends adding the backstory and stuff uh to that and um yeah, <laughs> and then another uh, the other actor I have is uh, Joshua Scantland. Um, I guess I am giving away the killers, but it, it's not a big deal. I don't really mind it. It's been out for a while now. You know what I mean? But uh, listen, you know the, the majority of the people. <laughs> the thing is, if people watching the film, if they know those names already, right? They're gonna they're gonna watch anyway to do right. you the solid. Right. If they don't know the, they're not gonna know the actors just yet if they are new to this film. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they're they're gonna watch it and they're not going, okay. Which one's Josh? Which which one's Josh? But right, listen, I, I think you did a really good thing here, Steve. That was a casting director on it too, man. So like, I, I had to sit through so many auditions and like applications and going back and forth with people and trying to figure out who had the best chemistry that I thought would work together. And I was really happy with everyone I got. Like everybody just really vibed on set. You know what I mean? Well, let's talk about that. I'm, I'm gonna bring up a name. All right, and this is a name that I've noticed in many of your casts and mm -hmm. your and you know some of some of your peers. Morgan Pyle seems to show up in a lot of y'all's films. Mm -hmm. right? Like a lot of your projects and adjacent projects. Like let's put Morgan over. Is she doing a damn thing or what? I love Morgan, dude. Like she's amazing. Uh so if anybody doesn't know Morgan Pyle, she really got her start from I want to say uh, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. It's the Zac Efron, Ted Bundy film on Netflix. She played his daughter in that. And obviously, you know, everybody wanted her for horror after that. So once we got a hold of her, man, we're not letting her go. So I think no, that, it looks like that kid's a trooper for horror for life. Because every time I send her an update to, to a script or anything, she's just like, this is so cool. Like, so I think she's hooked, you know, and she might be a future screen queen, honestly. Like, we're going to get her there if we can um it, listen and i know we can 
I'm and that's really my like, thing. If I work with people and they do a great job and like they're just really cool people to work with, I'm probably gonna work with them again. You know, um, I'm bringing back the girl that played Tiffany from He Knows and Morgan Pyle for my next film. So far, I got other people that I might be bringing back, but um, so far those are the people that I have, and I love both of them. Well, you know, like the only member of the team that I've gotten to speak with, um, the member of you know, your, your cast and crew, has actually been Jessa Flux. Uh, she came on to talk about a couple of films that she has coming up. Uh, Murder Size, of course, which is the uh, Angie D'Alba and uh, Paul Ragsdale film. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a, another Christmas slash holiday horror called, uh, it's either Triple X. Yeah, Xmas or Triple Xmas. I haven't gotten the, the one way or another what that's going to be called, but um, <laughs> I, yeah, the, the James Dean flick, not the porn star, not the dead guy, uh, but our James Dean. Uh, but I, I digress. Back to back to Jessa. One thing I've heard about Jessa is that she's more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, like my good friend Ben Johnson of uh, Curse of the Weird Deer notoriety, I guess you could say. Notorious is a good word. Um, infamy, maybe. Uh, he says Jess is very vocal about. <laughs> like thoughts and ideas she has while on set. You ever get that same vibe from her? Absolutely. So she's actually one of the most prepared actresses I've ever worked with because she brings her binder. She's got her notes. She's got like her own little breakdown of her character study. She, she hits you with ideas of like, Hey, my character might look like this. I might wear this. Uh, What do you think about that? And that's what I like to work with. Um, You know what I mean? As people that are, excited about their character and they want to help kind of build that character you know what i mean and she brings all that and she's like shockingly fucking hilarious on set and stuff so like she's a really funny person that you wouldn't expect that you know um honestly i didn't you know it's just kind of like oh she's the pretty girl she's just gonna show up and probably do her job and leave but like she's the type that goes above and beyond she's like what do you need you guys need me to move this you need me to help out blah 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 like she has ideas like She's one of the better people, uh, for sure, in an independent scene that you see working constantly that I say absolutely deserve it, like, for sure. If if we had 10 <laughs> Jessa Fluxes, I, th- I think we'd all be thriving. Honestly. Yeah, I think everybody that's ever worked with her has something great to say about her, because honestly, she's one of the few people I've never heard say, like, a bad thing about anybody ever <laughs> in my entire life. No, so. I can dig that. I mean, there, I, I'm meeting a lot of good people um, you know, as a result of you know, basically writing a, an article about a film of a friend. And it just, there was just a, a wave of support for that. And I just try to, to give it back as much as I can. And I want to have these people on for everybody that I know to meet these people. You know, it's, it's really important. And the one guy I need to talk to though is Jason Crow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got to know, like, did, did Jason improv any of his lines or does he, does he just come off as a prick that easily? <laughs> so I wrote a whole scene for him. That was a good four to six pages. But he was like, we can do this. But do you mind if I try something? So we let him try something. And his entire scene is him trying something because it was so good that we were just like, keep going, keep going. He's got it. All right, let's go. Let's go. It, it was just, dude, so he the scene where he whips out the candy cane uh-huh i didn't know he had a fucking candy cane he just whips out <laughs> the candy cane it's all nimble and fucking dainty and he's just like you want to suck on my candy cane i'm trying not to die just like a foot away from him off the camera dude just like trying not to die and then he does the whole bit about like the joke like him and the guy brian was the Sam, the sammy in that scene or whatever uh-huh uh, we didn't improv we didn't like plan any of that they kind of like improv it together and it was like he's like you're awfully big uh for an elf like did you eat the head elf or whatever and then he was that's, like that's the line that did it for me with abs and then he just hits him in the fucking head and we don't get the joke you know we don't get the punchline. and i was just like cut what's the fucking punchline? i have to know you know what i mean and it was like abdominal snowman or something like that uh but like i was just like i had to know <laughs> because that's it's that's the beauty of that scene though and, and that's the, the entire wicked ones is improv the entirety of wicked ones and jason crow scenes from what i hear is all improv J- uh, him and tori talk about it all the time it's just like he improv that whole movie dude i'm pretty sure he mentioned that on the podcast um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 
he, he killed it in that one. Yeah, I've slept since then, but I think he brought that up. But no, that that was the the, the scene that I came away with from this film is uh, the the scene with with Crow and and Sammy and the the incomplete joke, <laughs> the the cliffhanger that that was beautifully done. And I, I think it may get understated at some point that like there, there maybe not enough appreciation goes to that scene. I, I thought that was thought it was a very wonderfully done scene. If you go back to like all my promotional material before the movie ever came out, I was always using Jason Crow looking behind his shoulder at the the trash can. I was always using it because I was like, this scene is gonna kill it. Like that one, and I want to say the bedroom scene with the the girl and her boyfriend. Uh, where she comes back and he's dead uh kind of under the covers you know very halloween type nod you know what i mean the big reveal pulls it out you know i loved halloween h2o and like the originals where you know he always did somebody under a sheet and then um with the scream nod in that scene with the girl getting stabbed or whatever uh you know that was kind of those two scenes are probably my favorite and i died in the film so that's saying a lot so yeah and, and and good riddance to you steve yeah and i wanted to be like the douchiest character because i was like i'm just i have so much to do on set that just make me like the guy that just says the dumbest things <laughs> so no filter no yeah filter. yeah for sure yeah well tell me about the rest of the cast man i had a great time watching this film and i think listeners should know uh about the squad that made it happen um, who, who really stood out to you? Who, who, uh, I, mean, I know you can't possibly name everybody who was involved with the film, but so many, I had so many actors on that film. That's part of my scheduling issue. Yeah. That, I mean, before you came on, I wasn't fully aware of how much you had to kind of shuffle mm. and that it does really expand the cast. Mm. And, but I mean, man, you, if, if, if I might say so, you, you, you balanced it, you juggled it and you came out of it shining, man. I appreciate that, man. Because it's my first feature film, as you know, actor, writer, director, producer, PA, crafty. Like, I did cater occasionally. You know what I mean? Like catering. Yeah, I did it all, dude. So I'm setting up snacks. I send everybody. You got a water? You cool? All right, we're shooting a scene. You know what I mean? Like, I was my own AD, dude. Like, well, most of the time, I had an AD, but he he was available for like half the production because he used up all of his days. You know what I mean? Because we were filming for like a whole year. <laughs> so well, it looks like the jack of all trades had an ace in the hole. Yeah, so, yeah, dude, I just, the, the best thing I have, like, my best skill is knowing my weaknesses, so I just surround myself with people so much better than me, you know what I mean? Uh, my my DP, my sound people, like, my actors, everybody's just so much more talented than I am, so they can look at something and be like, hey, what if we did it this way instead? And I'd be like, you're right, you know, so I don't care if you're the PA, the director, I don't care if you're a guest on set, if you're like, hey, you got a second to hear me out? Like, yeah, sure. It works. It works. It don't. It don't. You know what I mean. Sometimes my stuff don't work, and I don't take it to heart. You know what I mean. Like DP would be like, "That's physically impossible." <laughs> you know what I mean. So you um, you hire people with an expertise to mm -hmm. to listen to that expertise, and you know if if not, you just hire a bunch of robots. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want puppets. And same thing with actors. I want people that can collaborate and help me make this character a character. Like there's some good stuff on a page as a writer because I'm cocky and I think there's good stuff on a page. Uh, but, you know, there's stuff on the page. But, you know, when anytime I have questions or ideas, I'm like, come to me, hit me up. I'm available almost 24 seven. If I don't reply right away, I'll hit you up eventually. Like, I'm not going to get upset that you hit me up at three in the morning asking, who's this character's father? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, give me a moment. Let me think of it. Well, he was a little bit of a bastard. So you're a little bit of a standoffish type person. Uh, you know, like how, how you work the character things out with people. Um, fun does stuff like that. I'm just like, I'm open to it, you know? So check out this film on Tubi. I'm not even going to mention the other, the other streaming service that it's on. Check it out on Tubi. It's free. You can't lose. It's called He Knows, as in He Knows. When you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake yeah. but St steve you're going to be back in the next few weeks yeah it's unprecedented no, nobody's ever had this quick of a turnaround but you're going to have a quick turnaround and we're going to have to talk about something else oh, yeah, and sure. yeah so you're, you're going to be back and you're you have an upcoming project that uh that folks need to know about you want to kind of give a little teaser on that one as dixie gurr sends us into the gag reels Oh, I love Greetings, Dixie. Dixie. 
She's Dixie awesome. on my mind. Dixie takes care of me. Okay. That is the homie right there. She's awesome, dude. Like she reached out when she first watched it and was like, this is amazing. I'm like, Thank you so much. Like I, I love watching all her stuff. So like hearing from other filmmakers and actors that like my work, I'm just like, thank you. Like I love your stuff. So she's definitely one of those people that's always very vocal and supportive. But as you guys can see from my little sh shirt here, that's kind of uh, for an upcoming film that I'm working on called Bad Apples. Uh, so Bad Apples is, as we kind of talked about earlier, about the young self-absorbed sociopath. Uh, she begins to unravel and show her true colors when her foster family adopts yet another kid to steal the spotlight. Now, this will be pretty like terrifier two level gore. We're working with Derek Worley, same guy I worked with on He Knows, Wicked Ones. Uh, he's worked on several other films. He's worked on like 30 films probably within the last year or two. Uh, he's also, he was one of the many effects artists on uh, Zombieland Double Tap. Um, so Derek gets around, you know, so we're, we're making this super gory. We have some really fun kills planned. We're crowdfunding April 5th, starting then. But obviously when I come back, we can go on a little more detail because hopefully I'll have more casting announcements for that. Uh, come then so far i've only got a few attached but uh talking about phantom fun world celeste blandon i want to say is how you say her name she's the main character in phantom fun world she's also coming on to bad apples so i'm excited to work with her uh, i got a brief little chance to be on phantom fun world set to meet her and she's really cool so yeah, yeah we're gonna be talking about it at length uh, in the next three four weeks something like that yeah, I don't have sure. the exact date, but you know, I, you probably don't either. So <laughs> I think uh, that it's, it's fair. But before we slide into the gag reels, you want to tell everybody where they can find you on your socials? Yeah, I mean, you can find me, Stephen Morris, or Steve Morris on Facebook, or Stephen Anthony Morris, Morris Better Pictures. Uh, we do have a Bad Apples private group right now where people get a little sneak peeks at stuff before I do post them on social media. Um, yeah, so you can kind of find me mostly on Facebook. Uh, uh, YouTube, I'm starting up a little bit on Morris Better Pictures. Uh, so hopefully I'll start being able to post more for that on there. But I don't really use too many other social medias, unfortunately. I'm, I'm stuck in my old ways and kind of miss MySpace. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wish people just clicked on my page and heard Linkin Park or something. Yeah. <laughs> I had Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, you know, hey, uh, thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks for uh, having me. Is, absolutely. And uh, I would say you're more than welcome back, but you are coming back. So I'm sure. not even going to, not even going to church. I didn't give you that option. I was just like, you're going to love me. Back. <laughs> and, then, and then you're going to love me again. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about bad apples at length because mm -hmm. by then. I might actually have somebody from the cast or crew with me next time. So. Hey, I'm down with that. Yeah. Bring them on. The, the more, the merrier. Yeah, I'm uh, talking to some big names, man. So fingers crossed. Uh, you know, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm down with it. And guys, remember to check out the shows within the Slasher Sports family. Slasher U with Christian, Christian Rao and Steve Feck. They're keeping you up to date with college sports. Suki's Honeydew Project with Suki Suburbia, where she's taking you by the hand and getting you out of the house into some activities that you might not have wanted to try on your own. And of course, the OK Baseball podcast with Christian and Sean Doyle, covering the latest and greatest in Major League Baseball. And if you're patient, and I know you are, I'll be joining that party with my daily fantasy sports picks once baseball season's in full swing. See what I did there, Steve? Uh, full swing baseball. All right, y'all. That's going to do it for this episode of Slasher Sports Cinema for Steve Morris. I am Billy Graves, and may you go forth and drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.